0: The Athletic Totally Football Show. All together now they built Man City. They built Man City on Rodri's goal. Yes, it's just another Sunday as we salute the fresh champions of Europe, Manchester City. Their accounts may be murky, but they triumph in Turkey. We hail the men who made it happen, Edison, Rodri, Romelu Lukaku, and ask, will anyone else ever win anything again? Also today, call it MLSE. And we have one last loving look back at our 22-23 season scrapbook. It's all in this Totally Football Show sunday the 11th of june everybody or possibly monday the 12th i'm not sure it is this much is clear the final totally football show of the season and for it we have assembled uh, duncan alexander hello duncan hello also tim spears with us hi james we've got daniel story in istanbul
1: hello james
0: yes there you go also on the way sam lee also in istanbul Joining us from the banks of the Bosphorus, uh, it's uh, James Horncastle. And then later on, still, we'll uh, get Paul Tenorio on that unrelated but equally interesting uh, Leo Messi to Miami move. Plus, some best of the season thoughts. Woof. Just the 308 days of this last season to choose from. Uh, Very good. Let's begin with Saturday Night
2: at the Ataturk. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. it's over 18s only, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org.
3: Here's a kanji for City. That's a lovely little ball in Bernardo Silva. Tight angle, pulls it back. Coming onto it now to shoot. Score! Rodri! Manchester City lead in the Champions League. Huge goal for Rodri and the
2: Manchester City supporters have gone absolutely mad.
0: Manchester City 1-0. Rodri's 68th minute strike fizzing past a couple of Inter defenders. Inter responding with a flurry of chances in vain as Pep Guardiola and Manchester City lifted that long-awaited European crown into the Istanbul sky. All right, on the line from Istanbul... Sam Lee, the Athletics' Man City correspondent. Sam, can I start with you by asking, it's not an underdog story, this, and many unmoved by Man City winning something, but there were plenty of people at the Ataturk for whom this meant everything.
4: Yeah, but I mean, it's not... Who's ever said it is an underdog story? I don't know why so many people are annoyed. No, it's not. Nobody's ever said it is. Why would anyone say it is? That would be mental. Um, yeah, like, you, you could see, not just in the celebrations after, but how they played. You know, it was easy going into the final thinking, OK, well, they went to Porto two years ago, their first final seemed overawed, lost to Chelsea. So, okay, they've got that experience under their belt. They'll come here now. They'll be much more comfortable and they'll play the final like a friendly, like Pep Guardiola says about his Barca team. But they didn't. You know, the nerves were still there. It was like their first final. And after the game, Guardiola said, you know, winning the first one is so difficult. He went back to when he was at Barca in 1992. He mentioned United. Obviously, that wasn't their first one, but it was their first one for 30 years. And, these finals are very close and tough occasions, and it yeah it, it meant the world to them. So you saw it then on the pitch, but then afterwards, you know, the videos going around, the Grealish tearing up during his interviews, the celebrations. Like, can you can you imagine the pressure on them? Well, nobody's saying this, it's an underdog story, but can you imagine the pressure on them? They've won the two already. They know the Champions League is massive in its own right. They know it's the kind of thing that they're all supposed to win to kind of justify everything else they've done, and they had to go over and get it over the line and had they not it would have been a failure or they're bottling it or whatever all those feelings and emotions led to that performance and then via Rodri's winner and those interchances in vain those celebrations.
0: Speaking of celebrations you've just dropped an excellent piece uh, or will be dropping an excellent piece on the way they partied can you give us any of the details?
4: Yeah 8am um, some of them were still going Stones, Grealish, Walker and Haaland. Um, Harland was DJing uh, massive absolutely massive cigar um, they had a party for like hundreds of staff all the tr- all the three trophies that they've won were there Fernandinho was there um, Pep wasn't there some of the celebrations on the pitch Grealish walking through the mix zone you may have seen it on Twitter um, blaring out everywhere by Fleetwood Mac which the City fans have been singing all season um, he was half cut by the time he was leaving the stadium or what half two in the morning and like I say he was he was still going in his full kit at 8am that's most of the most of the detail given away, but no, there will be other ones in there um, if you'd like to go and read the article as well. But yeah, they, they certainly enjoyed it.
0: Excellent. Uh, the, many things in this team's favour, many things in Guardiola's favour working at Manchester City. What do you think has been the biggest challenge that they've overcome together or that he has overcome uh, on the way to this treble triumph?
4: Probably just that mid-season low. I think maybe if we talk about the underdog thing, maybe it's because if if you try and say anything's not been easy for City or, you know, they had some kind of setback, then it's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. it's not an underdog tree there, is it? No, it's not. But if you remember the day after they lost to Tottenham, they were shocking at Tottenham. That was when the, has Haaland picked the wrong club thing kind of flared up. You know, Does he suit their style of play, this kind of thing? The Premier League charges were the next day. Did anyone think they were going to win the league at that point, let alone the, the Champions League. Cancelo had been moved on as a shock on transfer deadline day, the week before. Um, it just seemed like things were kind of unraveling a bit. Gundogan, as the captain, he'd said after they'd got knocked out of the Carabao Cup that something was missing. There was like a special ingredient that had been in there in the past that wasn't there anymore. Um, there was loads of stuff going on behind the scenes with a, a popular masseur had been had left the club and not all the players were happy about that. That, that caused, like, you, you think that wouldn't be too much of a big deal, but that was a big deal. There was the, the Cancelo situation, other players who weren't happy. That game at Spurs, you know, Guardiola didn't pick De Bruyne, and that was fair enough. He played Rico Lewis at left-back, which maybe wasn't fair enough, but Rico Lewis had been really good, and he was looking for somebody to do it instead of Cancelo. And he was just trying to find solutions. He was thinking, well, this isn't working, this isn't working, he's out of form, he's out of form. All of the top players that were out of form, pretty much. He was trying to find solutions, and it didn't work, and they looked miles off it like, I, I, no way would I have thought they'd won the trouble at that point so that was that was the kind of the big thing they had to overcome this season
0: brilliant all right what time did you go to bed Sam
4: uh, 6.30 which was earlier Six. than Friday night I
0: see all right well listen you enjoy that blue blue Istanbul sky along with the blue mosque that is sitting just over your, your shoulder on this zoom call and uh, fantastic so many thanks for all your contributions this season and enjoy the summer
4: well yeah likewise thanks for having me on Have a good
0: show. Speak soon. Sam Lee in Istanbul. Daniel Story also there, straddling two continents. And he's just relocating to the hotel reception. It's such a better Wi-Fi. So let me ask you, Tim Spears in the meanwhile, surprising game this in many ways. Not sure where you watched it, but after all the talk of it being a massive city walkover in prospect, it was anything but.
5: I don't know. I never, I never really saw it like that. To be honest, going into it, it sort of, no. it played out a little bit how I, I expected. Although Inter created more chances than I thought they would, but I, I guess the most surprising aspect of the final was how sort of shaky City were in those opening stages, which Sam sort of alludes to there. Just you know, just to how much it meant to them and how nervous they were. You could, you could see that really. Edison making mistakes, Rodri making mistakes, um, and Inter sort of forcing the game that they wanted I guess uh, making it not a spectacle certainly in that first half disrupting play I thought Inter were almost perfect in their approach actually but the you know the great thing about about City is that even when certain players are having an off day like Haaland or Gundogan or you know they're stifled out the game you know Haaland ends the season with one goal in eight games by the way um um, but yeah, you know, and and then De Bruyne goes off, but then other players step up. I mean, John Stones was outstanding. Rodri ends up being the match winner and the hero. Edison steps up at the end. You know, that's how good they are. You can shut down who you think might be the key players, and then others step up, and you can still leave Julian Alvarez on the bench or Riyad Mahrez on the bench. Um, they're they've felt almost impossible to stop for about three months now, of mm. what's been three months of, of of you have to say three three months of perfection.
0: Yeah. Whatever your expectations were, I don't think many of us saw into having double the XG of City in this game, Duncan. No,
6: it was a slight throwback to two years ago, wasn't it? When when City managed 0.23 XG in the whole final against Chelsea. I mean, obviously they were better this time, um, particularly in the second half, as Tim said, and uh, you know, and won the trophy, which is quite key to these matters when you think back. But yeah, it was it was kind of what you'd expect from a Champions League, final. I think people. I think domestic cup finals have become so run of the mill these days that people kind of forget just what a massive final is like. And I think the Champions League final, we've seen it in the last four or five years, when it gets round to that day, and particularly now it's at the end of a Saturday, it builds up all day long. And players are human, they get nervous. And, and I think, you know, Inter had a really good game plan. And, uh, you know, the first half, they, they definitely had City where they wanted them. I think City did adapt very well in the second half. John Stones came into the game a bit more. You know, obviously, the, Pep was talking a lot about the relying on the defenders. And I think, you know, Sam mentioned about the, the Tottenham away game, which they lost. But a couple of games before that was obviously the Tottenham home game in the Premier League, where they came from 2-0 down to win. And that was the match where Guardiola sort of lambasted quite a lot of players post-game. And he kind of praised... H-
5: h- h- happy Flowers Club, he said.
6: Yeah. And he kind of... He kind of singled out people like Akanji and Ake for praise that night, but for people that actually cared and wanted it. And I think it was it was interesting that obviously both those players started the final and Akanji was obviously key. You know, as we've said, they both of them made kind of mistakes at points during the game, but Akanji was key to the goal, you know, that burst forward. And it was a triumph, I think, of as Tim was saying a minute ago of the squad you know Phil Foden came on and, and I thought played really well probably should have scored but would have been a absolutely brilliant goal if it had gone in because that turn he did to, to charge through and I think it was players like Akanji, Edison, Phil Foden that don't necessarily or haven't this season necessarily got the praise or even the game time in Foden's case that they maybe deserve that, that came to the fore and and ultimately it was a team effort and I think that is kind of testament to to what Guardiola does as a manager.
0: Hmm. Daniel Story rejoins us now. Daniel, just in time to tell us about the goal and how it came about from where you were sitting at the Ataturk.
1: Joe, I think that's a perfect situation for a goal for your team in their first Champions League final win. In that, A, the first half was so bitty that Manchester City were obviously attacking their own fans. B, it was the type of goal where you get at least half a second where you know it's probably going to be a goal before Rodri's even shot because of the way the ball kind of came back to him he had to run onto the ball then strike it and it was a very very good chance it was a great finish but it was also a very very good chance and you could kind of sense this kind of gasp from the city end of like this is it this is our moment we're going to score here and I think all city players did exactly the same thing it kind of everything stopped and it's just kind of you know a very saccharine thing to say but it was like Rodri ball goal and that was it and that's the perfect that's how you want it you know not a surprise not a kind of rebound pinball in the box but just a player running onto the ball a very very excellent player stroking the ball home and Mm. yeah he then kind of ran over to to the fans and yeah at that point I know Inter had chances but the last four finals now have been 1-0 and you kind of did think that's probably that
0: yeah it was a fantastic finish though because he had two Inter defenders standing literally in the way but curled it nicely uh, past them, the Inter chances though at the end, if if City were made to well, were forced to struggle really by Inter's players, Inter also were ended up coming short because of their own players. Now I'm particularly looking at uh, well, uh, Lautaro Martinez failing to square, went through on on goal to uh, Romelu Lukaku, and then L- Lukaku with those chances
4: at the death.
1: Yeah, that that I mean that that header. Uh, towards the end. It looks like a really bad miss and I think it probably is a really bad miss but it's also a phenomenal save from Edison because from that distance usually what happens is the ball just hits the goalkeeper and the striker is to blame for not putting it away from him. But the replay show Edison actually moves towards the ball, moves his leg towards the ball to make that save and I actually thought kind of Edison's story was the story of the final really because in that first 30 minutes he was he looked really jumpy both his passing out He was taking a bit too long with the ball, I think, to start moves. But by the end of it, he just seemed like this man-possessed, kind of diving everywhere and flinging himself in the way and making those saves. And uh, Yeah, I thought Martinez, yeah, that was really sloppy from him because City had completely fallen asleep and he should have been immediately awake and he just seemed to delay for probably over a second to let Edison get out to him.
0: Mm. Yeah, Lukaku getting uh, particularly low marks from the Italian press on Sunday. In terms of who stood out for City then, you you mentioned... I think Tim, John Stones, uh, Olling, and not so much. Who who else caught your eye, or for Inter as well, like a for example.
5: Yeah, a was. I love the a battle with Haaland. Such a contrast between this sort of gruff, fully tattooed uh, veteran Italian with the with the smooth baby blue Haaland. And yeah, they, they did manage to restrict his chances. And I thought, I thought, do you know what? Tactically, it was it was it was a really interesting battle. I know it didn't make for a fantastic game in the first half, but Inter was so hard to play through. They almost sort of went man to man in in a lot of regards, and just completely stopped City's build up. Certainly through into the final third of the pitch, uh, the wing backs helped push them back. And yeah, it, 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 as Daniel kind of said, it, it very much felt like a first goal wins type of game.
6: But just on that, like is it me or do people there's a sort of trend now for people to spend all big football games complaining about it. i remember it during the world cup final as well it's like it's almost like a badge of honor just to go well this is rubbish yeah this is the worst final for 20 years it's like it was actually all right i i, I didn't get all the kind of just because it wasn't 2-2 at half time or something it was um you know if city say city had gone 4 nil up early on everyone would have gone oh that's a waste of time it's just making a a joke of the final so i i find it really really compelling to be honest it was two teams with very different approaches kind of negating each other but with the you know with a lot of tension surrounding it
0: what was your favorite bit duncan
6: i think it was probably on this on this basis, I think it was probably in one of Guardiola's post match interviews. I think it was with CBS where he, they said, "What's the difference between you know teams that city teams that haven't done it and this one?" And he said, "Oh, well, now we've got four proper defenders who love defending, we enjoy defending," which I think is probably the difference. And in a in a world where attackers do get so much of the praise and credit, I think you know this game really was a triumph of goalkeeping and defence, really. And I think that was quite refreshing as well.
4: Mm.
0: He also said, be careful, Real Madrid. We're only 13 Champions League wins behind you, but we're on our way. BT Sport actually running a survey on whether City will do the treble again next year too. Do you think that having broken the duck, as it were, that this is just going to be all City all the time?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that that's, that's certainly their intention. It's amazing how you, you mentioned his kind of joke about Real Madrid. It's amazing how quickly... He goes from kind of ultra-focused, uh, like sort of neurotic coach line manager to like little jokes in the changing room <laughs> and in his post-match press conferences. And yeah, he. he I, I have to say Guardiola predicted that final perfectly when he said in the pre-match press conference about You know, Italian teams think they're winning at 0-0 and and Manchester City need to forget that they're not losing at 0-0 because there were times in that first half where just because City weren't breaking them down it almost did feel like hang on, they're losing the game here and yet it was still 0-0 they were still level, if they scored first I think they would still win yes, they are going to now try and do this next season of course they are, they will be favourites in in all three competitions they've won this season Um, other clubs will be better and there inevitably comes a post-debut Champions League win kind of sense of teams trying to bring you back down, trying to trying to usurp you, which will, will happen for City now if it didn't already
6: happen before this. But yeah, they'll be favourites for all three competitions. Didn't happen to Nottingham Forest, did it, Daniel, in 1980? Blew
0: away, mate. Nice historical perspective there. And speaking of history... There's a part of the post-game reaction that will feature asterisks and 115 and all that kind of thing. Tim, you were, you were mentioning in the athletics post-game kind of portmanteau piece. Th- the fact that 24 years ago, this club was battling away in the first division. And as such, whatever may have happened recently with ownership, for the fans who've been with them since then, this is an extraordinary, extraordinary place to have arrived.
5: Yeah, al- an almost incomparable rise, really. 24 years from league one to the best team in the world probably by margin really you know you look at the way that they dismantled their rivals for the premier league in arsenal in two games this year you look at the way that they tore real madrid apart in the semi-finals and yeah they didn't have it all their own way in the final but that was that was never going to be the case you know they are it's not always the best teams who win the champions league but they are by a distance the best team and yeah it's, it's it's a difficult way to frame it really I kind of uh, they, they were saying on the on the telly last night it's one of football's greatest stories which it isn't um, <laughs> I'm not sure many people would agree with that I personally don't but it's stunningly impressive the way that they've done it um, you can talk about the finances of course but the way that you, you don't just throw money at it and, and do what they've done you have to do it in the right way with the right people with the right processes and, they, and they've they've done that and you have to mm. take your heart off
0: well, you do, although you get the right people with, with lots of money, I guess. Mike Goodman actually on Twitter sums it up quite nicely where he says, Manchester City have spent their infinite money well, and it's not easy to spend infinite money well, but it's impossible to spend infinite money well if you don't have infinite money. Anyway, that dilemma aside, Duncan.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I, April 1999, I don't like talking about this, but I was at Main Road to watch Wickham complete the league double <laughs> over City in the third tier. Um <laughs> And I was happy, obviously, but the City fans, it, it cost them automatic promotion, I think, pretty much that day. They obviously went up in the playoffs, but, um, you know, that main road was sold out. They sold out pretty much every game that season and took 3,000 fans to every sort of League One, as it is now, ground, away ground. So, you know, sometimes I think City fans are criticised because maybe, you know, they don't have as many online fans or whatever, but there is a loyal core supporters there that have you know, stuck with them when times were bad and now times are very good.
5: There was, um, oh sorry, I was, ju- I was just going to say just along those lines, there was there was a, a video which sort of went viral from the game last night of what looked like a proper old school Man City fan with, with a Manc accent being told to sit down um, by what looked like a load, a load of sort of city tourists behind him, which was sort of uh, that perfect sort of clash between old city and, uh, and new, which a lot of fans are still getting used to. mm
0: Daniel, were you charmed by City last night?
1: Uh, it's, it is difficult. It's a kind of difficult moral quandary because we cannot escape, you know... I- my piece and i immediately filed it and thought well this is going to annoy both sets of people which is what tends to happen with when you cover city now and cover clubs like them Is that you you don't please their fans because you caveat things and you don't please the people who are paying for their blood because you've praised them in some way so you end up pleasing no one which is uh, a nice place to be in but you cannot doubt the improvement in players under that coach. And yeah, you're absolutely right, James, a coach doesn't come without the structure and the structure doesn't come without the money and the money doesn't come without the power. But that drip down effect can lead to a dilution of that impact. And it hasn't at City. You, know, you look at someone like John Stones last night, who you know, once he got his emotion out of the way in his post-match press conference, Started talking about oh he wanted me to be a free-flowing number eight tonight, and he wanted me to play passes through the lines, and he completes six dribbles, and you know he do, he, he kind of almost steps in for Kevin De Bruyne when Kevin De Bruyne is, uh, you know, surprisingly goes off injured, and that stuff happens because of elite coaching and because of a manager who makes players feel incredibly comfortable in their own abilities. And John Stones is a central defender. He is still a central defender, but he is being converted very very quickly, very expertly into something completely different and when you do that with elite footballers you create a magnificent team and that's what they are you know I I am able thankfully to separate the experience of watching them as a team to the caveats I have at the back of my mind and yeah we have to express those but I hope that we can all kind of separate the two because if you can't then
6: there's sort of no point watching it anymore. Just on John Stones that as Daniel said six completed dribbles that's the most in a Champions League final since Lionel Messi with uh, back in 2015, which is amusing. But could
0: could Leo Messi be a central could, defender? That's could he the do question. It, I must for say.
6: Barnsley, yeah, we we probably will never know, actually. But um, but it is. I think that also links nicely to the fact that you know Guardiola la, last won the Champions League before last night, back in 2011, and, and Messi lasted in 2015, and it did mm. feel for a long time like they needed each other to to do it. But it turns out all you needed deep down was John Stones.
5: And um, just another further indicator of, of the rapid rise. This was Sheikh Mansour's first game since uh, two thousand ten. Uh, he's actually got a hundred percent record watching City. <laughs> they beat they beat um, they beat Liverpool three 0 that day. Um, with the likes of well, Gareth Barry was on the score sheet. Uh, Joe came off the bench, and yeah, at the time, uh, City hadn't won a, a, a trophy in this in this new era. So they had nine major trophies uh, to their name in their history at his last game, and now they're on uh, 26, which just... Cheapers. Um,
0: Any reason, Tim, why he doesn't go to
5: games? Hasn't
6: got the loyalty once.
5: I've no idea. It's, 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 uh, it's a strange one. Maybe he's just not that interested.
1: Well, he did. Maybe it's yeah. just that he went in August 2010, saw David and Gog playing
6: at front for Liverpool and thought, yeah, maybe <laughs> the Premier League's not quite for me. <laughs> do you think someone said to him last night, look, we don't win every week, and then someone else said, oh, actually, we pretty much do, so...
0: Pretty much too,
6: yeah.
0: There you go. Any other thoughts before we dial up James
5: Horncastle on his way back from Istanbul, Tim? Uh, just to say, it was it was a big night for a couple of people who you may not may not instantly spring to mind. Uh, one being Nathan Jones, of course, who, who yep. stopped immortality this season. Uh, he'll have been uh, he'll have been celebrating that, I'm sure. Uh, and also for Scott Carson, who won his separate, second Champions League title. And as Rich Jolly pointed out on Twitter, he goes level with. Paolo Maldini and Alessandro Acosta-Curta for the longest gap between first and next Champions League wins, which is 18 years
6: he looks, It looks like 18 years as well
1: <laughs> There's a magnificent tweet last night from Chris Lepkowski uh, who's a West Brom you know, focused journalist who pointed out that the West Brom side of 2008-9 had both Jonathan Greening and Scott Carson in now who have been in treble
6: winning Manchester sides 24 oh, yeah. years apart that is a great shot. And actually, talking of Twitter, Guardiola referenced it quite a lot post-game, and I do think he's the, probably the first out-and-out definite Twitter user to win the Champions League, which is a nice little landmark, and makes you wonder who's going to be like the first TikTok uh, user to, to win the Champions League. It's going to come.
0: Um, can I just ask, Daniel, are you by the docks or something? The sound of seagulls and, and possibly heavy shipping is making me feel very <laughs> wistful. Yeah,
6: I'm, I
1: keep forgetting to mute myself on Zoom. But yeah, there's it's a very much a sort of seagull versus cat community in running the show in Istanbul at the moment. Right.
0: Okay. Well, well, we'll uh, while we wait for further updates on that, let's, as mentioned, uh, get the word, the kind of interview as it were. Uh, from James Horncastle who was there on the sidelines for BT Sport and The Athletic and uh, has a bit more of a Nerazzurri perspective on how things turned out.
2: This is the Totally Football Show sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to 6 selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at livescorebet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be Looking
3: for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
2: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Okay, James Horncastle. Uh, first of all, did you have an entertaining evening on the sidelines?
7: Yeah, it was, I mean... All of like Inter's uh, treble winners were there, Mm. uh, which was nice. Seeing like Javier be reunited with uh, a lot of his old teammates. Uh, And, you know, I mean, yeah, anyone who was anyone was there. Yeah, I don't know. And then Mario Balotelli as well. Yeah, Super Mario. I never expected that I would be sort of giving him my Apple personal hotspot and changing the password for it to chow mario so he could use my wi-fi but um yeah he was in
0: good spirits off camera good did you get your armband signed that's the big question (laughs) i didn't
7: unfortunately i don't get the armband that's uh uh yeah des has earned his his stripes uh clearly so Mm.
0: all right this game then it was right there for inter
7: yeah it really was i think they expected to make more of a game of it. I mean, we were there on Monday at uh, Inter's press day and they were super relaxed. It felt like they had kind of a free-hit history. But I think even them, they didn't expect um, to have this within their grasp, really. Um, you know, I mean, the the strategy that Inzaghi had, uh, really frustrated City. You could see Pep getting a bit frazzled on the sidelines. If Inter, uh, even in the first half, had been a little bit better in the final third, better decision-making, you know, better crossing... They could have definitely won this, um, and a bit of a shame for them in the second half that they even had the chances to get back into the game. Yeah, Lautaro Martinez afterwards said, "Look, not even Edison knows how he saved that header from Lukaku. I think Lukaku knows why Edison saved it because he headed it straight at him." But yeah, into you know go home a testa alta, as I say, you know with their their heads held high, but I think full of regret that actually this supposedly unbeatable team that people have built is the greatest in history, was eminently beatable and unfortunately they didn't beat.
0: Mm. What happens next for Inter? The the run to the finalists help, but it's still a club with vast debts. Uh, Are we going to see another wave of departures?
7: Well, I mean, Onana was asked about his future uh, last night. I thought Onana was great. Um, He didn't have too many saves to make apart from that one from uh, Haaland, but just, you know, with the ball at his feet, he was, I mean, it was great to watch like because he would, There were times in the game where he was outside of his penalty area as kind of an extra midfield player. He said, look, at this level, you never know. So it wasn't a real kind of commitment to Inter, even though he said, look, I'm happy. I think Onana, as with a lot of the players at Inter, are very aware of the situation that Inter are in, where they have this you know, sort of 300 million euro loan uh, outstanding to this American hedge fund called Tree, which the owner, Stephen Zhang, is uh, is seeking to renegotiate, though the club is also for sale. I mean, Onana, because they signed him for free, you know, he's just pure profit if they sell him, which, you know, from a financial perspective, if they need to balance their books, is quite attractive. And I can imagine there being a lot of clubs interested in him. Um, Lautaro didn't have the best game, Last night, you know, I think he was a little bit culpable of being selfish when he should have squared to Lukaku once Lukaku came on. Yeah, Lautaro, I think, is another player, particularly at clubs that need a striker at at the moment, like Real Madrid. They, They might look at him, came close to being sold to Tottenham a couple of years ago, only for Inter to sell Lukaku to Chelsea and make the money they needed that way. So it will be interesting to see how much of this team sticks together, really, because, you know, as Inzaghi said last night. Uh, actually, said so it on the eve of the game. I wouldn't swap my players, my team, for any team in the world. And tonight they showed why and that I was right about that. But how many of those players are still remaining on September 1st? Uh, we'll, we'll have to see.
3: Mm. And
0: what about Insagi himself, a man who was on the verge, according to the papers, of leaving Inter at various points of this season, but who, who, who now has underlined that unexpectedly he's what one of the the top italian managers
7: yeah i would think so i mean pep was saying how very very good they are i mean pep seems to do this about every kind of opponent that uh, that city had but i think everyone watching the game could see how many problems inter caused um city particularly in their build up i mean I was sat next to Owen Hargreaves in the stand behind Roberto Baggio, guys Comendietta, and Yuri Jorkaev, which was which was quite fun. And Inzaghi was quite happy to leave a Chadby 1v1 with Erling Haaland which you know given a Chadby is in his mid 30s was pretty bold. You know he had Bastoni stepping out onto John Stones, he had Damian stepping out onto Kevin De Bruyne. And you know tactically I thought into a pretty much spot on and For Inzaghi to do that against Pep, who again, after winning the treble, is considered arguably the greatest coach of all time, you know that is that is something that does enhance Inzaghi's reputation. And you know, for all the many occasions into were on the brink of uh, dismissing Inzaghi this season, he's just unsackable uh, on the basis of of what he's he's achieved this season. I suppose the only cloud over it is a little bit like what happened last year in that on the final day of the season comes a big disappointment. Yeah, you know, last year it was losing the title on the final day to Milan and that eclipsed winning the cup and the Super Cup and the progress they made in Europe. This time around, it's losing a Champions League final. I still think Inter are very, very proud of how they performed and got to where they, they did. But ultimately, the season ends on a disappointing note. Not that. I think that will affect Inzagi standing within the club there was there was probably a time, James, a few few months ago where you would think, well, what what would Inzaghi do next after hypothetically being sacked by by Inter? Who would be interested in him? I think after this Champions League run and after the performance last night, probably he probably will have a, a lot of consideration among not just fellow big clubs in Italy, let's like say Juventus or something, but I think some of the big clubs around Europe would look at him and think, actually, you know, he deserves to be on our shortlist if and when we come to... Uh, make a coaching change.
0: Remarkable. James, do you want to leave us with a a moment of the season?
7: So my moment of the season was probably last week and it was unexpected. And that was being at the Conference League final in Prague. And I thought that was probably one of the the best of the finals that I've been to this, um, this season. And sort of going down pitch side 10 minutes before the end, and being in the tunnel near the corner flag where the West Ham fans were, and then seeing sort of Jared Bowen just all of a sudden appear out of nowhere and score in the goal uh, right next to where we were, and all the West Ham players then just knee slide past us. It was just, it was a really nice atmosphere to be part of. Um, yeah, sort of being under an umbrella whilst beer was showering down um, uh, around us, and then seeing, just being really up close to see friends and family of the players being passed down from the stands and getting onto the pitch. I've got no connection with West Ham whatsoever, but I thought it was um it was just a really nice it's what football's all about, James. You know, mm. who wouldn't want that? So yeah, kind of enjoyed that. Prague was good. Great restaurant. If you're ever there go to field, brilliant. That was probably my moment of the season.
0: What did you eat, James?
7: Uh they had this sort of uh veal from uh Moravia or something, which was uh which is very good. Mm. And, um, uh, and they also, yeah, some Czech wine. Never had Czech wine before, but it was good. So there you have it.
0: Ooh, James Horncastle. Yeah, more end-of-season thoughts to come. Uh, by the way, if you're keen to know how the InterTotally Cup has turned out in the meanwhile, there is a separate video and a podcast version available of our grand final, which was Tom Williams against producer Charlie Jones. Videos on our YouTube channel, same address, at totally show. Uh, and the podcast versions on the podcast stream, of course, are very good. Next up on this show, it's time to talk Leo Messi.
2: You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at bet.com It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gamblerware.org.
0: Listener, what was set to be potentially one of the biggest transfer sagas of the summer got wrapped up early uh, just last week when Inter Miami and Leo Messi announced the Argentines transfer to Florida. How did? one of the worst teams in MLS history, sign one of the greatest players of all time. Let's hear from The Athletic's Paul Tenorio on Wednesday's News.
3: Paul, was Wednesday the biggest day in the history of MLS? I think it has the potential to be for sure. I mean, anytime you have a player of a legendary status join a team or a league, it can be a transformative moment. We saw that last in this league in 2007 when David Beckham joined. And he really did change the league and he changed it at a time when MLS needed saving in a way they had barely kind of kept themselves alive and moving forward as a league and suddenly they had this global figure who was willing to be more than just a celebrity player right he became an ambassador for the league and helped to push the league forward and even the rule that they created to bring David Beckham in became this thing that transformed MLS. And now you have Leo Messi, who's going to be potentially transformative in other ways. One, he's the, in my opinion, the greatest player who's ever played the game. And so, you know, to bring him to Major League Soccer at this point, just months after winning a World Cup, has the op the potential to put a lot of more eyeballs on the league, to bring people into the stadiums. And now with this Apple deal to bring global eyeballs to MLS, because anyone around the world can subscribe to watch MLS on Apple TV. My hope is also that with Messi coming, that there is a sort of similar impact on how the league operates the rules, the way that they go about building teams to say, okay, well, we're going to, as we've already seen in the days after Messi was announced, really even the minutes and hours after Messi announced he was coming, you know, Busquets and Di Maria and Jordi Alba and all these names, Luis Suarez, they're all going to come to Miami to play with him. Well, they can't really under major league soccer rules. Maybe like Beckham, Messi will, will bring not just this this two and a half years of eyeballs on the league, but change for the better that helps the league grow to become more competitive on the, the global market. Hmm. How how unusual is
0: the deal that has been put together to bring Messi to Miami?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very unusual. Not, not since Beckham really have we seen something like this in, in Major League Soccer for sure, everyone has sort of marketing deals and image deals of course you know whether you're talking about lorenzo insigne in toronto or chicharito in la people who have real audiences by the way with with their respective fans especially when you talk about chicharito in mexico and how that factors in on los angeles but here you have a company like apple who's willing to become a partner with leo messi i mean that is uh, you know that is michael jordan and nike that's what that feels like to say hey we know that we've invested $2.5 billion over the next 10 years in Major League Soccer, hoping that we can pull more viewers in globally to watch this league. And suddenly we have a chance to bring you to the league, to bring Messi to the league. And in order to do that, we are willing to give you a slice of that pie and to make you a partner with us over this next 10 years in this deal. And you know, I think no coincidence probably that they agreed to buy his documentary and air his documentary as well on Apple TV Plus, right? Like, for me, that just speaks to the heft of a player like Messi and, and the attention he commands to have companies like Apple and Adidas saying, okay, let's talk about revenue sharing. Let's talk about partnership at the highest levels. Um, and then, you know, of course, financially, on the compensation part, this will look like Nothing we've really seen in MLS. I think he'll he'll get paid somewhere between 125 to 150 million dollars over two and a half years. That'll surpass kind of the annual value that that Beckham once had. He was around 25 million or so. And and then the you know I think the the thing that is very similar to Beckham is the equity portion. Beckham very smartly with Simon Fuller and his team back then had this package of an option to purchase an expansion team in Major League Soccer for $25 million at the time he signed that expansion teams were being sold for $10 million. By the time he cashed it in, expansion teams were being sold for $250 million. So pretty good investment. And and this deal will give Messi an opportunity to purchase equity in Inter Miami. The question is, you know, what's his buy in price? The day before Messi signed Inter Miami is probably worth $650 million on the Forbes valuation. The 10 minutes after he said I'm coming to Miami that valuation probably went to a billion. So where is that equity mm. stake going to fall? Uh but I think that's that's somewhere where we can like link directly to you know Beckham structure right over to a, a Messi structure.
0: Okay. Beckham's arrival, you mentioned the transformative effect and the number of teams leaping from 13 to I mean pretty soon 30. Is there a projection of what MLS wants from Messi's arrival? What What's the objective of it in concrete terms?
3: I think it has to be global growth, and and actually, I would say also domestic growth in the perception gap that exists. Like people still think of Major League Soccer as the MLS that existed. A lot of people that existed when Beckham first arrived, with players making twenty thousand dollars a year and. Mostly made up of domestic players. And that's just, or that it's a retirement league in the years since Beckham. And that's just not true anymore. The average age of designated players in MLS has dropped precipitously from, I think the year after Beckham signed, it was like 33.7. And six years later, it still was an average age above 30. And now it's in the mid 20s, 25, 26, because there's been this huge focus on bringing in young international players from South America. And Kind of rejuvenating league and yet there is this gap that mls the level of play is well below where i think it is i mean i'm also realistic i cover this league i know where it stands in the pantheon compared to the, the top european leagues but i find myself in you know when i tell people oh, i cover soccer in the united states they're asking me all these questions oh you know isn't isn't that league terrible shouldn't we want all of our players in europe well, yeah, you should want your play, your best players in Europe, but that doesn't mean that MLS is terrible. And so, if you can accomplish that, where now you're getting people who have interest in Major League Soccer outside of their local market, that would be transformative. We're seeing 50,000 people going to games in Atlanta every single week, 40,000 people in Charlotte, sold-out stadium in LA, in Portland, in Seattle. But when you look at the national TV ratings, they don't. It doesn't resonate. People watch their local team. They don't watch the national games. And 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 that's where I think Messi can help, like get people to tune into the product and buy into the league and not just go to the stadium in their city.
0: Mm. All right. Well, that's what the future hopefully will, will look like. What's the present going to be like for him though? What kind of team is he going to be playing and what kind of stadium, home, home stadium is he going to be
3: playing? Yeah, I mean, on paper, Miami is not ready for Leo Messi. They're playing in a temporary stadium in Fort Lauderdale that you know is it was built to be temporary right they have their main home that's going to be ready and built supposedly in two years i mean the deal is done construction we'll see what happens but in two years that that stadium should be open um and so right now they're in a stadium with a capacity of 19,000. not a ton of suites no real way to monetize it in the way you'd want to with with leo messi the team is in last place in the league you look at the advanced data on their attacking output it's historically, maybe some of the worst we've ever seen in Major League Soccer since those advanced data metrics have been put into play. So he's walking into a bad roster on a kind of a bad market, they were ranked last in attendance last year in Major League Soccer. It's not ideal. And like I said, these rules still exist in MLS that make it very difficult to quickly build up that roster around Messi. Magnificent. All right, Paul, thank you so much for that. Catch up with you. Yeah, soon. awesome. Thanks so much, guys.
0: Messi's debut for Inter Miami is likely to be in the Champions League match against the Mexican side Cruz Azul or Cruz Azul. Uh, That's on July the 21st. There's a bit of negotiating on on this because Messi wants a long holiday. Uh, Anyway, there you go. Prices on Miami matches on the secondary market, as they say, in the United States have already begun to rocket skywards. Daniel, are you going to be
1: tuning in? I have to say, I did like Paul's. I'm sure Paul's completely right that um, there is an argument to kind of change the rules to make them less restrictive, but it does feel like if that is predominantly to benefit the team that's just signed Leo Messi into MLS, then it's quite a hard argument to, to pass. I think they might be okay for the time being.
0: It is the worst team in the division, though, so... It's going to be quite an interesting... You know, people often ask Guardiola to go and take over, I don't know, Swansea or Wrexham or something like that just to see
1: Dagenham how, it was. How Harry Redknapp, was, th- that's not Harry, Harry Redknapp Dagenham. was very keen on him managing Dagenham. There you
0: go. So Messi in the league's worst team is actually a little bit that kind of experiment.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think he'll be OK. I think he'll, he'll do just fine. All
5: right. Messi to do just fine. Tim? I was going to say, I know this has been pointed out extensively, but it is, it is a tragedy that... Phil Neville won't be asking him to to track back mm. next season. That's a real shame. Um, also, he's not the first uh, left-footed forward called Leo at the club. They also have uh, Leo Campana who a gangly Ecuadorian striker who uh, left Wolves without making an appearance mm. earlier this year. Just to put in sort of context to uh, how bad uh, into Miami are. Oh,
0: Duncan, did you have anything to add on the Messi story?
6: um he's never he's still never scored in the first two minutes of a game so maybe mls will get to see some sort of history made
0: perhaps so perhaps so all right in other transfer news let's see it looks like uh aston villa are signing yuri tielemans on a bosman on the first of july when his lesser contract runs out that's good news for villa question mark it,
1: it is good news for villa i i i i have to say it's a no-brainer signing Tielemans on a free deal and, and by all accounts you really want to stay in the Midlands and therefore you are slightly limited uh, now for, for choice. Villa's midfield towards the end of last season was by far the best element of their team with that kind of energy of, of John McGinn uh, and Ramsey Kamara kind of adding the steel. I'm not quite sure initially where Tielemans is sort of slightly lower key uh, sort of Dynamism, I suppose you'd say, over the last two years at Leicester. I don't really know exactly where that fits in. But, you know, in cliche terms, it is a lovely problem to have for, for I Emery because Thielman is a class act. But it, he does need to kick on from those last 18 months at Leicester. They really, really were not good.
0: Fair enough. In other transfer-related talk, it looks like William Saliba has agreed a new deal with Arsenal, which would be a relief to Gunners fans because there were plenty of big sides around Europe interested in acquiring his services. And uh, Leeds chairman Andrea Radaritsani has apparently agreed a deal with the 49ers to sell his stake in the Yorkshire club for a reported £170 million. So a brand new era at Ellen Road as well, as long as Radaritsani doesn't take that with him. Again, uh, positive news for Leeds?
5: Yeah, at, at, at just the right time as well, James. I mean, you know that there's so much that's gone wrong there in the last few months and they definitely need a new change of direction and you look at how they descended from Bielsa to Allardyce in, in the little space <laughs> of a year and it's clear that they need some uh, new smart football thinkers at the top of that club so hopefully they come in with with such a plan.
6: You made that sound like one of those things on the front of a magazine you see in like Sainsbury's, you know, from Bielsa to Allardyce in a year, my shocking story, mm. <laughs> which I guess it kind of was. Indeed.
0: Akhlef Hanif, hello Akhlef, uh, says which is going to be the interminable transfer of the summer then? Kane to Real? Question mark. Real?
1: It does feel like it might be Declan Rice, doesn't it? Um, he, because of his kind of buoyancy after the West Ham win, there were some sort of rumours that he might, you know, he, I think he intimated in an interview kind of, well, I've still got two more years here, at which point David Sullivan went on TalkSport and said, uh, yeah, but we've said you can leave and sort of himself intimated, we, we, we've sort of banked on that money. Football's first ever come and keep me, plea. Yeah, exactly. It, it did feel like that. I mean, I know he was um, on a euphoric and possibly alcoholic high at the, the, the time, but um, yeah, I think that will be the one because Arsenal are going to push, Bayern are in there, Manchester United won't go away, Chelsea would love it. That That, that is the one I think that will rumble for a while.
0: Very nice. So I look forward to reading all about that every week. The season's not quite over in some senses because you've got the Nations League final four next week. Uh, Holland are playing Croatia in the first semi-final on Wednesday. What's the second semi-final on Thursday, Duncan?
6: I'll be honest, I don't know.
0: Spain, Italy. That's right. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Spain, Italy. it's huge games, and the final between whoever emerges from those two matches will be on Sunday. I mention this because by then you'll already be hungry for top-level football, and potentially, uh, it could be Spain, Netherlands, it could be Italy, Croatia, so many uh, wonderful combinations, probably about four, I think. But anyway, (laughs) uh, it'll all be live on Channel 4, and I'm going to be hosting it. So do tune in next Sunday, the 18th, for the Nations League final. Next up, though, with the blue skies of summer out there, ready to be enjoyed. And some seagulls and cats as well, in Daniel's case. Let's wrap this season up with a few final thoughts on 22-23. And here
1: is how the season shapes up. 16 matches before November, and it all kicks off
6: again on Boxing Day, eight days after the World Cup final. We begin a season like no other.
2: There really is no Saturday like the first Saturday. And the first game of the first Saturday brings together two teams who scored... 200 league goals between the last season, albeit playing a league
1: apart. It's to Brentford 4, Man United 0. Second day, second weekend of the season. 5.30pm kickoff, absolutely roasting sun. And just watching Man United and in particular Cristiano Ronaldo implode right in front of my eyes was, was quite special.
3: He looks for a Bomo and Bomo is-
0: wants to be the first to
4: say goodbye. I'm going to tell you something. I have three idols in my life. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Julia Rovers. Even if we, even I win the Champions League, will not be compared for the fact that Julia Rovers come to Manchester They don't come to see us. You know, I feel sorry for the fans. I feel sorry for the for the players, to be honest with you, because at this moment, we we're just a little bit underquipped uh, at
0: this level from where we've come from for what we have. And it's, yeah, improved a bit
6: difficult.
1: If you'll forgive the rampant solipsism, it's, yeah, the pre-match Mull of Kintyre before Forrest's first game back in the Premier League. The Premier League felt like someone else's dream for Forrest for 20 years, and for me. They were 13 when I was last in it. We also kind of saw how very early on in the season how the atmosphere at the City Ground might actually make a difference. Forest fans have felt pretty helpless over the last two decades but I think they kind of realised that maybe we could be a kind of director or an actor in this season rather than just watching what happens. So that.
6: I might go like Daniel with something that happened largely at the city ground or completely at the city ground in this case, which was Richarlison's showboating at the start of the season which was brilliant because A, it was funny B, the reaction of the Forest Players was hilarious C, the reaction of everyone watching was even funnier like it was split into mad camps of this is a disgrace to the same people who would say oh I love videos of Gascoigne doing this sort of thing in the early 90s were now saying it was a disgrace that Richarlison was doing it and it didn't really have much effect on anything. Richarlison didn't have a very good season, and Forrest did. So maybe those proper football men were right and that the Cosmos did realign itself in Forrest's favour.
0: It's tough, but I'm a man, I accept it, I understand it. I can feel their frustration, I'm frustrated with them. And yeah, it was a tough, tough night for me personally.
1: They don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. Tottenham story is this. 20 years that there is the honour and never won something. Wants to
5: be the, first the challenge, as I said at the start of this conversation, was too, too big to, to turn down. It felt right for me.
0: Wants to be the
1: first to Slightly random one, but I have really fond memories of being at a game earlier this season which was Fulham's 3-2 win over Brentford. And it was just two kind of underdogs who I expected to be in the relegation scrap. Just playing great football, Mitrovic was great, Tony was great. Both sides just playing with confidence and trying to take the game to the opposition, and it was a really nice sunny day. People probably won't remember this game at all, but kind of thumbs up for me that a few, a few
2: kind of underdogs punched above their weight this season, which was quite good fun. Looks for Mitrovic!
6: Oh, he's done it!
2: Today I feel uh, Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker.
1: Obviously went to Qatar at the World Cup and Morocco, Spain and it wasn't, the quality of the game was rubbish, but Morocco fans were, and Argentina fans were the only fans of that tournament that really generated any type of atmosphere. And just following the, them around in the streets afterwards when they were going absolutely mad in, in the souk was was a pretty cool moment, um, just seeing how much it meant.
6: Montiel.
5: Plays it through. It was behind Firmino, but he's found a way to score. This is just incredible. It's every time. And it is for Liverpool. Their most magnificent seven.
0: In goes
7: the corner. Cleared only as far as Nelson has to get his shot right. Oh, that is
2: unbelievable.
5: Looking for this record here. He's done it. The highest in a Premier League season. His
1: first Premier
5: League season. I am old and antiquated, which is no far, so far from the truth. I might be 68 and look old. But there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not not Klopp, not not Arteta. So it's all there with me. To, this is a testing,
3: Six-year wait, Silverware returns to Old Trafford. Forward it goes,
5: the Champions League Knights are returning to St. James's Park. But it's the last kick of the contest, and it's all over this season for Southampton. Leeds United relegated
2: from the Premier League. And their fate is confirmed. From champions to championship in seven years. Leicester are relegated.
5: Coronation year. Manchester City, the kings of English football again.
2: It belongs today to Manchester City. FA Cup winners 2023. Pakatari's played it through and Bowen's in. It's up for Grabs now!
7: this is very recent so it might be recency bias but I'm going to go with David Moyes' dancing after the Europa Conference League final. It was just a complete unbridled joy of everything that football should be about. It's not easy to choose uh, the best bit of the season because I was there for Rhys Nelson's winner against Bournemouth which was just unbelievable but (laughs) I'm going to go with with Sheffield Wednesday's amazing comeback against Peterborough United in, in the playoffs. I was there at Hillsborough and I will never ever forget it.
2: Lifted in by Johnson, headed across the base of goal, and in! It's Liam Palmer. Sheffield Wednesday have completed the comeback of the
5: player comeback. Montiel, once again,
0: he's off the hook. He's got another chance here to win it all for Sevilla, and this
5: time he does.
3: They've done it again. Magnificent seven for Sevilla. I think it was Robin Gerson. It's a brilliant save again. Yes! And they've done it. They've done it. Manchester City have done it. Once, twice, three times the champion. Champions of Europe finally. History made in Istanbul. The treble complete. All
0: right. Excellent. There you go. Producer Jesse there with the montage a season that kicked off on August the 6th and wrapped itself up on June the 10th 308 days later never I think it's fair to say has there been a season like it with managers tumbling almost as fast as the Premier League goal scoring records and a World Cup stuck in the middle of everything. Before the memories fade, thanks for uh, contributing one or two little bits to paste in the Notional Scrapbook. Tim will come to yours very shortly. We had Daniel and Duncan's in there. But one or two from listeners. Here's Will232, who mentions ooh, quite a few things. The match of the day blackout. Yeah? Mm. The Conte-Tuchel handshake. Favourite of mine. The fact that Scott Parker used to be a manager. Wolves scoring with a striker. It's probably yours, Tim, isn't it? <laughs> Salah sending Martinez the wrong way, and he says Newcastle assistant being centre of attention. What's that about,
6: Jason Tinder? It's
1: the kind of rise of reality TV star Jason Tinder.
0: Yeah. Ah, right.
6: Okay. Mm.
0: Excellent. Cooler uh, Shaker. Oh, this isn't a moment of the season so much as a question. But anyway, six teams finished with less than forty points. Is this a record? Asked Cooler
6: Shaker. Um, I wouldn't think so. No. It's okay. pretty standard now.
0: While uh, while I'm on the questions, here's one from Leif Malone, who says, "Is it true that Haaland never got offside all season?"
6: No, that's not true. It? Not true. I is
0: mean, he the, is no. he
1: the new Zidane, Duncan?
6: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. That <laughs> the the ongoing internet nonsense that Zidane was never caught offside in his career uh, seems to have a new a new champion.
0: Right there, you go. His name is Erling Haaland. What else then, Tim? What was your moment of the season?
5: Uh, the Tuchel Conte handshake is definitely up there. Also, I can't believe that that was this season. It feels. Mm-hmm. So- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how uh, fans think about it, but it's felt like the last two or three years have been, have, have been such long seasons. And it's still, not... yeah, as you say, it's still not over yet. Um, England mm-hmm. playing England playing Malta and North Macedonia next weekend, which I bet John Stones can't wait for. I guess I'd like to pick a unique moment that we've never seen before and may never see again. So I'll put forward uh, Constantine Hatsudeckis' elbow on Andy Robertson, which is just one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. And then and then Roy Keane calling Robertson a baby three times. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a Sky Sports wet dream, really. Two massive viral moments. All right. We had Sevilla winning a, a Europa League, which happens fairly
0: often. Napoli with their first title in 33 years. That remarkable final day in the Bundesliga with Bayern pipping Dortmund. Uh, West Ham with the Conference League win. James Holger's referencing that. Messi finally getting his World Cup. Ronaldo, you're talking about things that seemed like they weren't this season. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, coming out and blanking half the pundits on a, on a panel because they'd, uh, on the Sky panel.
6: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Jay pointed out the 4-0 win for Brentford against United in Ronaldo's face on that day, I think. Had the dream died before then? Brackets, yes, very much so. But that was that was definitely an underlining in red pen, I think.
0: I mean, it was a very long season. But in terms of, probably this is true of all of them, but in, in terms of content, it does seem unusually rich from such moments as Knowlesy and his stalwart mm. defence of uh, his end of the stands for West Ham at the, the Alkmaar game to that incredible World Cup final extra time, which is, I think, the whatever, 30 minutes of football that I've most enjoyed in, in my life, possibly.
1: I think it's partly because it was so relentless. We had so much, we barely had a free midweek. So there was just like the, the content never stops because there was always another viral moment coming kind of two or three days later.
6: I think also people are so attuned now to, to creating viral content and it's, it's almost like the, the actual football is just a sort of a picnic Uh, rug that you lay out the the memes and the and the reaction to and it's almost you know I think it can be a bit tiresome at some points but it's also we should I think we're all lucky to to work in football and I think it we should take a moment to sort of remember that it is fun and it is enjoyable and it is something that kind of does you know unite most people on the planet and it is uh, it obviously has many issues and, and problems but it is also the greatest entertainment that humanity has probably ever created, so we should occasionally nod to that.
1: This felt
0: like the Queen's speech. That was some. Um... That that was worthy of uh, Darren Fletcher's the greatest yeah, that- <laughs> story in club football. Uh, finally, has an ending. That football uh, officially s- the uh, apex of uh, human human achievement. Uh... I have to say, the short form content in you know long form season, short form content. I I actually work on that because there is so much bloody football all the time that it's only via the various memes and, 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 and gifs, or gifs, as you prefer, uh, that, that I keep across most of
1: them. My favourite moment yeah. of the season, James, was uh, was when Duncan Alexander read, read out Jake Humphrey's draft leaving speech for PT uh, Sport. <laughs> <laughs> all right,
6: all right, all right. Anyway, I'll, I'll end it on a more prosaic note by uh, whoever asked about... Um, six teams on less than 40 points last happened in 2014-15 the season before there were seven teams so wow you know. a long way from being first there we go but normal service is resumed mm.
0: <laughs> excellent excellent well there you go anything else you want to salute this season with tim
5: spears I mean, I was going to I was going to start talking about the playoffs, but I don't think I can follow Duncan to be honest. Just, just <laughs> You're right. Good lord, that was only what two weeks ago. They I mean, were it was one but, of the most yeah.
0: extraordinary games of all time.
5: Well, they all they all were. I mean, Daniel was lucky enough to be all of them, I think. But yeah, they were. They all went down to the last kick. I mean, you go down to Wrexham as well, and, and their, their incredible story and the 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 ding dong with Knotts County, Sheffield Wednesday, which Adrian mentioned, um, their comeback. Yeah, the whole playoffs were were crazy good this year.
0: Mm.
5: Fantastic.
0: All right. Has anyone got a track on how many days until the next season gets
5: back underway?
1: Some of us have got to travel to Valletta first and then to Australia for the Women's World Cup, so the content
6: literally stops.
0: Magnificent.
6: I think it's 16 days until the Champions League starts again, so that's something to The 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 fixtures, the fixtures for the new Premier League
1: season released this Wednesday, I think.
6: really Thursday, I think, yeah. Thursday, sorry, yeah. Greeted with
0: a flurry of enthusiasm until we actually read them and then think why are we reading it's the
6: (laughs) it's (laughs) the the most ridiculous day day of the day of the year because the the day before everyone's like i can't wait for this this is going to be Mm. incredible and then it comes out and it's like oh yeah we've got spurs in march and it's just yeah that's how it works
0: yeah yeah well there you go all the same, I look forward to that and uh, to, 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 to teaming up with you guys again when it all gets back going again. Have a terrific time in Valletta and, and Australia and, and, and everywhere beyond that, Daniel's story. Tim, what's your big plan for the summer?
5: I'm off to Valletta as well, so oh, I'll yeah. see you there, Daniel.
0: Come
1: on, nice. that's the season finale we need.
6: <laughs> and Duncan? I'm not go- I'm not going to Valletta, but... I mean we should also mention the Serie A relegation playoff, right? And yeah. Well they we don't know what's happening in it yet. No. Well no. No. You well, can't tell the future. <laughs> yeah. That's no happened. Kevin Lasagna though, which is a mm. which is a huge blow. It is, isn't it? Mm.
0: Uh, end of season lasagna off the menu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh very good. Thank you, Duncan, for that. Uh, Tune in next year to find out who went down and, indeed, who came up because they're still (laughs) barring Callery in the second leg of their promotion playoff in Italy. Uh, But, yes, very good. Uh, Many, many thanks, then, to everyone, Duncan, Tim, and, as mentioned, Daniel, and uh, producer Jesse, also earlier Paul and Sam and Big Horn Dog. And you, listener, above all for your staunch service throughout this long, long, long season. It's been fabulous. I hope you enjoy your rest over the summer. Totally will be back soon enough. In the meantime, from all of us here, it's goodbye.
2: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Score Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The
4: Athletic.